with Jesus and Sue is not able to be with us tonight but she wanted us to air a classic sermon by Billy Graham and so we have that coming up you are really going to be blessed by this message called I Want It Now by Billy Graham just moments away here on Wave 94 but first we're going to hear from Kirk Franklin and right after that Billy Graham You know, this is the 20th anniversary of our being on television from these crusades at prime evening time across America. It was 20 years ago this year that we started from Madison Square Garden in New York City. We were in Madison Square Garden for 16 long weeks and we televised live over one of the networks the Saturday night services, and that was the beginning. We never dreamed we would come to the time when we would see television in color, when we could tape it and do all the other things they can do with it today. And I never dreamed at that time, and I'm sure that Cliff or Bev Shea or Ted Smith or any of the others on our team ever dreamed that 20 years from that day, we would still be televising and reaching millions of people around the world. Because when we started, as far as I know, no one else was on television with the gospel at that time. And certainly no one in the evening, at prime evening time, was on television. We had been on television at prime evening time in 1950 and 51 and 52, but I can't find anybody that ever remember those. But they were not the crusade services. It was a little interview program that we did on one of the networks every Sunday night at 8 o'clock, clear across the country. I don't think they had over three or four hundred sets in the whole country about that time. And uh, we have all the old kinescopes we could show them, but uh, we started early using the medium of television. And we're still doing it and reaching millions of people. And now I'm glad to say that there are many preachers on television proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I rejoice in every one of them. 
Now tonight, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, the second chapter and the 16th verse. 1 Samuel, the second chapter and the 16th verse. Now I could call this message tonight the instant civilization, or I could call it, I want it now. I'll let you make the decision after you've heard it. 1 Samuel 2.16, these words, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. And of course, this is Eli, the great high priest of Israel, and these are his sons who are breaking the law of God, and they're threatening that they want their part of the meat against God's law. They want it now, and if they don't get it, they're going to take it by force. We got the idea for this sermon a few months ago in Mexico. Cliff Barras and his wife and my wife and I were in Mexico. And we went into a drugstore to get a Los Angeles Times that was on sale there. And uh, we found an ad, a big ad that says, I want it now. And what they meant in the ad was, you get it now and pay for it later. And that's the way most of us buy things these days on the installment plan. But we're living in a period that I think may go down in history as the instant civilization. I remember the first time I ever saw instant television. You turn it on and the picture comes on was in Japan. And I said, I want one of those. I didn't get it, but I wanted it. Instant coffee. And when I go to some parts of the world where the coffee is so bad, I take instant coffee with me. Because uh, some of the coffee you taste in some parts of the world doesn't taste like it's ever seen Brazil. <laughs> By the way, did you see that coffee prices are starting to go down? Maybe we can afford coffee again. But there's instant soup. Instant meals in these uh, ovens, microwave ovens, I suppose they are. And you can put in a potato, and I saw a whole turkey in an ad the other night in which it was being cooked in one of these ovens, and the whole family was gathered around looking and watching this turkey cook. I don't know how long it took to cook the turkey, but when my wife cooks a turkey, she cooks it all night. And I remember one time when my father, he's gone to heaven now, but my father was visiting us and my mother, and they rarely visited us in those days. They came up to our house. We could never get my father off the farm, but he came a hundred miles away to my home, which was a long trip for him. And uh, my wife had cooked the turkey all night. It was Thanksgiving day. And my father bit into it just as I did, and there was ice still in the middle. And... Uh, <clears throat> I saw my father looking around and I, I knew exactly what happened. I didn't want to embarrass my wife and she saw what was happening. And uh, my father insisted that that was the way he liked his turkey. <laughs> but now we have instant. Everything is instant. We want it now. I remember hearing Stephen Alford, who's on the platform tonight, preach a sermon along this line many years ago. In uh, which he said that one of the great gaps in America is the expectation gap. We see on television all these beautiful and wonderful things and we expect that we're all going to have it now. And this is what the sons of Eli said. We want it now. 
We don't want to work for it. We don't want to wait for it. We don't want to do it God's way. We want it now. And this is what Esau said. He came in from the field and he was hungry and he was thirsty. And he saw his brother with some beef stew. And Esau said, I want some of that. And his brother, Jacob said, if you'll sell me your birthright, give me your birthright, I'll give you some stew. Now the birthright meant everything. That was God's line that would ultimately bring the Messiah. And Esau was so hungry and wanted and coveted and lusted after that stew so much that he sold his birthright to his brother in order to get it now. He destroyed himself. He destroyed his soul. He destroyed his spirit. He destroyed his relationship with God because he lusted after food now. His appetite for something in this world was greater than his appetite for God and for eternity. I want it now. David didn't go and lead the battle as he normally did when they were at war. He stayed at home. And while he was up on his palace, he looked across and he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath. And he said, I want her and I want her now. She was another man's wife. David was a man after God's own heart, a man of God, and God had put him on the throne. And yet lust was found in his heart. And he said, I want Bathsheba now. And he sent and he got her. And then came the biggest political cover-up in history. He tried to cover up that. He had her husband killed. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of adultery. And he still tried to cover it up until Nathan the prophet went to him and said, Thou art the man. And then he began to confess and to repent. But he never recovered his statue again. Many terrible things happened to David after that. He never gained the respect of Israel again, nor even his relationship with God. Though it was restored, yet something was lacking in his life from that moment on. I want it now. Absalom said the same thing, David's son. He said, I don't want to wait for my father to die when I may have a chance at inheriting the throne. I want to be the king now. So he led a rebellion against his father. I want it now. The prodigal son that Jesus told about. He came to his father. His father had two sons. And this young lad knew that he had an inheritance coming. About a third of the estate of his father would go to him and two-thirds to his brother. He didn't like it back on the farm. Nothing exciting happening back there. He said, I want to go to the big city. I want to go to New York. I want to go to Paris. I want to go to some of these great places that I've heard about. I'd like to take in Las Vegas. See what it's like out there. So he went to his father and he asked his father for his inheritance and his father probably advised him against it. But he went against his father's wishes and he got his inheritance and he spent it on riotous living. He said, I want it now. And he found himself in a pig pen, grunting like a pig, eating with the pigs. He spent all of his money on wine, women, and song and became empty, disillusioned. All of his friends left him. You see, the devil also pays wages. You serve the devil, he'll pay you. He'll hold out to you the most beautiful promises and the most alluring promises you have ever heard. And many of you young people that are here tonight, 
sense that because you have an offer from Satan tonight and you have an offer from God and you have to choose. And Satan's offer is always clothed in the most beautiful, sparkling wrapping. Just like he offered to Eve. He said to Eve, why Eve, God says that if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. You're not going to die. Nothing's going to happen to you. You'll be like God himself and God is jealous. He doesn't want anybody to be like him. Go ahead and take it. You'll be wise like God. And the devil is a liar and the father of lies according to the Lord Jesus Christ himself in John the 8th chapter. And he's lying to you right now. He's whispering in your ear. He's telling you that his way is better than God's way. And this is what he did to this young man. And he came to the end of himself. And finally he decided that it was better to be a servant in his father's home than to be where he was in the pig pen where the devil had taken him. Because you see, in the end, there always comes destruction. Look at Howard Hughes. And that's just one of hundreds of names one could call of people, rich, famous, everything seemingly to live for, and they die disillusioned and despairing and fearful and bitter. Satan paying off. He promised the world and he gives an empty heart, an empty soul, and a lost soul. And you end up in judgment and hell as a result. First, there's instant pleasure instead of true happiness. A famous and a very beautiful movie star died this week. And her picture was in all the newspapers. And you know, she said a few months ago in an interview on television, she was quoted in the press as saying, you know, I only wanted to find a little bit of happiness. And I'd find a little of it here and there, but, but not much. On TV one of the world's greatest ballet dancers at the end of an interview the other night. My wife and I were watching and we were struck by what she said. She sort of looked down and she was reflective and she said, you know, I'm really searching for my spiritual self. I really don't know who I am. Rich, famous, the most famous dancer in the world. I don't really know who I am. Do you know who you are? Have you found your spiritual self? Is there such a relationship with Jesus Christ that there's a joy and a peace and a happiness in your life and a forgiveness and a, no, and a sense of forgiveness of sin and a knowledge that if you died at this moment, you would go to heaven? Do you know that? If you don't know that, you can make sure tonight you say, well, Billy, I'm a member of the church. I've been confirmed. I take all the sacraments, or I've obeyed all the ordinances of my church. I've tried to do my best. But really, down deep in your heart, you're like Agba Hak said a moment ago. You haven't really experienced Christ in total commitment. He may be your Savior, but He hasn't yet become your Lord. 
because Lord and Savior must go together. The Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means King. He's on the throne of your life in every area of your life. The choice that you have to make in whom you're going to marry, you go to him first and say, Lord, is this the one you want me to marry? Lord, I'm in love with her. She has everything I want. But Lord, is she the one for me from you? Because out there somewhere is the best for me. I had to say that several times before I met the one that I knew God wanted me to have as my life's companion. Or your career. You want to do this and God says, no, I'm calling you to do that. I want you to serve me in some capacity. And God has been speaking to you and you've been resisting. Do you know who you really are? You're made in the image of God. You were made to glorify God. You were made for God and without God, there's an empty place in your life. That could be filled tonight, right tonight, by a simple surrender to Jesus Christ. Max Lerner, before he died, you know, the great writer, said the American way of life was sinking tragically into a Babylonian existence. Arnold Toynbee said before he died that hedonism would destroy us within before any outside forces could get to us. And no one ever chased pleasure any more than Lord Byron, who climbed the pinnacle of pleasure only to die at the age of 37. And you remember the poem he wrote, my life is the yellow heat, is in the yellow heat. The flowers are fruits of love. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Instant pleasure. We want it, and we want it all now, and that's right for young people. Young people should enjoy themselves. Youth is a time for laughter. But listen to the songs that are being sung by young people today, filled with suffering and tragedy and death. That's what the lyrics are saying in the song hits. And youth today, instead of finding true happiness, is finding a misery beyond any generation. And they're on a vast search for something. They don't know what it is. They turn to Eastern religions. They turn to drugs. They turn to other things. And they don't find it. The scripture says they spend their years in pleasures and they perish. In 2 Timothy, Paul said, In the last days, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We want pleasure. And we're searching for pleasure and searching for happiness and searching for kicks. And we get them temporarily and then comes the morning after. And the kick has a kick back. 1 Timothy, Paul said, She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she lives. Physically, you're alive. Pleasure. At times. But something dead inside and you know it. It's your soul. It's your spirit. Dead toward God. Because you've never really come to the cross and surrendered it all to Him. And said, Lord, I surrender all. How different from Bill Featherstone. He was only 16 when he wrote these words that we often sing. My Jesus, I love Thee. I know thou art mine. 
For thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And the psalmist said, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. Not the pleasure of a moment. Not the pleasure of an exciting evening that soon is past. But forever. And the only people, young people that I know anywhere that really have complete pleasure and happiness and joy are those that know Jesus Christ. Oh, there could be tears and problems and difficulties. And when you come to Jesus Christ, your difficulties will mount. It's not easy to be a Christian. I want to be, I want to level with you. To you students here at the University of Notre Dame, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's hard. It's hard when you're not surrendered all the way. But when you come all the way, the Holy Spirit takes full control of you and you become filled with the Holy Spirit and He produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It becomes the most exciting, the most thrilling, the most challenging, the most adventuresome life in the world. And then secondly, I find among young people today, instant sex instead of true love. The pregnancies among 14 and 15-year-old girls today is now at epidemic proportions in the United States. The increase of VD has caused the American Medical Association to say it's terrifying. And children see all of this sexual pleasure in the films and on the movie pages and the entertainment sections of the newspapers and on television. And they say, I want it now. I'm not willing to wait for true love that only God can give. They have erotic love, eros love, but agape love, God's love they don't know anything about. And let me tell you this, and I'm going to be very frank. This is probably the frankest statement I've ever made in a public audience. You'll never really know what sex is until you know God and you have that love that God gave in the context of marriage to the right person, it becomes a spiritual experience as well as a physical and psychological experience that only the Christian knows. Oh, you can be an animal and get a certain thrill, but you'll miss the real meaning of sex. Come to Christ. Let it be true love. Sebastian Temple, the great Roman Catholic folk singer from Africa, sings this. Love is silence. Lust is a roar. Love is a sacrifice. Lust always wants more. Love is giving. Lust only takes. Love is mending of hearts that lust breaks. There's a difference. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10 that we should not lust. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, flee youthful lust. 
Peter said in the second chapter, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. They fight your soul. They fight your spirit. They fight your relationship with God. And there's nothing that will come between you and God more than the sin that I'm talking about. And then thirdly, there's the desire for instant wealth instead of true treasures. We're living in the most affluent society the world has ever known. When I come back to America from abroad and we spend about a third or sometimes half of the year abroad in different parts of the world, I can't believe my eyes at the wealth in this country. It's beyond anything the world has ever known except perhaps in Sweden or Switzerland or a few countries like that. And many people who are poor around the world are saying, I want it and I want it now. And I try to tell them that all the wealth that America has hasn't made us a happy nation. It hasn't solved our problems because true wealth is spiritual wealth. I'd rather be a person living in the heart of an Indian village in Latin America with God than to be a millionaire in America without God. Jesus said, how hard shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now you're rich. By the world's standards, every person in this audience is rich. And it's hard for an American to get to heaven. That's the reason Jesus said the gate is narrow and few there be that find it. Oh, a rich man can get to heaven. There's nothing wrong with being rich if, if, if you got it honestly and if you're a good steward and if you share it. And we Americans need to share that which we have gotten with those poorer people of the world. But we must do it in the right way and that's the most difficult part of all. How do you do it in the right way? The Apostle Paul took up relief funds and the Apostles did in order to send to poorer Christians in other parts of the world. We do the same through our organization. People can send money to our organization and designate it for relief and we will give it to relief such as the Guatemala earthquake or the Romanian earthquake or somewhere in Afghanistan or somewhere in some other parts of the world. And we don't take one penny out for overhead. It goes 100% for that purpose. We believe that's a part of our Christian responsibility, primarily to help the Christians in other parts of the world when they're suffering disaster and hunger and drought as they are in other parts of the world. That's our responsibility. But some of us want to get it and get it now, and we want to become wealthy now. And so we're lying and cheating and stealing across this country and shoplifting. Oh, it's so far beyond my comprehension, I can't even explain it to you, but you know what I'm talking about. He that trusteth in riches, the scripture says, will fail. Jeremiah said, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that gloryeth glory in this, that he knoweth me, for I am the Lord. That's what we glory in, that you know Christ. Because let me tell you, your riches won't last long.
I've never seen a funeral in which behind the hearse there was a U-Haul trailer going out to the graveyard. <laughs> you can't take it with you. And Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do you have treasure in heaven? What's your bank account like in heaven? Or if you've got a big bank account in hell, you better change banks. I'm serious. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to think that you've sent something on ahead and you're going to find that the thieves got in there and stole it all and it all corrupted and it was all nothing. You can't take it with you. You leave it all behind. And the only thing that counts is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there are other things that are instant, that we want instant peace instead of true serenity. And that's the reason people today are involved in ESP and EST and HPM and TM. And that's the reason they feel guilty and that's the reason that so many, now I know that a lot of people have to take tranquilizers on a doctor's prescription, but there are thousands of people that are taking barbiturates and tranquilizers and all these other things to to sort of get them to escape just a little bit from the reality and no doctor's ever written a prescription. It's an escapism. And Paul Tillich used to call it the escape from guilt and the seeking of cleansing. And one university in the United States was quoted in the press last week as saying that 77% of their students are on drugs. To escape. Isaiah, God said through Isaiah, bring no more vain oblations, incense is an abomination unto me. I cannot away with it, your iniquity. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Wouldn't it be wonderful to take those scarlet sins tonight and have them as white as snow? Jesus can do it. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth from all sin. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. To have forgiveness. The greatest word in all the world is forgiveness. Are you forgiven? Are you sure of it? Are you certain that God has forgiven you? Well, that's why Christ died on the cross and that's why he rose again. So that you might be forgiven. And then lastly, there's instant escape instead of true decision and commitment. The scripture says, he that being often reproved shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. In other words, you hear the gospel like I'm giving it to you tonight. Or you hear the gospel on radio or television or you read it in a tractor in a book and you do nothing about it. You make no decision and make no commitment you're in danger of being cut off. Cut off from God. That's why there's no such thing, the Holy Spirit never uses the word tomorrow in the Bible, it's always today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, come now. They harden their heart. The scripture says that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted. Are you hardening your heart tonight? 
by saying no to Jesus Christ? Or are you going to say yes to him? I said those very things in Seattle a few months ago in the great kingdom. And there were two 18-year-old boys in the audience. And when I gave the appeal, they turned to each other and they said, shall we go? And one said yes and one said no. And they talked a little bit. They both decided to accept Christ. A few weeks later, they were flying an airplane. They got caught in a storm in the mountains. The plane crashed. And they both went into the presence of Christ. What if they had said no? What if they had put it off? I'll see those two boys in heaven because one night they came to Christ. Tonight is your night. Now is your moment. Right this instant. You say, do you believe in instant salvation? I certainly do. The Bible teaches it when Paul and Silas were in prison and the prisoner came and said, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that night, that minute, not only was he saved, he was baptized and in a few hours he was doing social work. He was washing their wounds, already serving the Lord. And every person that Jesus called in the New Testament, he called publicly. That says something to me. I'm going to ask you to open your heart to Christ openly and publicly tonight and say yes to him. You've been listening to a classic sermon by Billy Graham called I Want It Now, which you can find on YouTube if you want to hear it again. And Sue has not been able to be with us tonight on the Falling in Love with Jesus program. We hope that she'll be back with us next week. Tune in every Monday night at 8 o'clock for Falling in Love with Jesus right here on Wave 94. Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Falling in love with Jesus Was the